to do? Making a video. Making a video. episode of Rank and Review, and I am your host and random Canadian, Larry Parsons. This episode, me and my guest, Brendan Cook, are going to discuss bears. Um, It's a pretty standard primal fear. You're out in the woods, and you hear branches snapping, and you hear leaves rustling, and you turn around, and before you is a 500-plus pound creature with claws and teeth. So I don't think it's hard to find the math on why these movies are scary, but how will they rank? For that, you will have to listen to find out. And please send feedback to RankinReview at rankinreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. I'd appreciate any feedback you had for me. As usual, there will be spoilers and there will be coarse language. Do me a favor and spread the word on this podcast. And thank you for listening to Rankin Review. Okay, I've got Brendan Cook back in my garage for the 74th episode of Rank and Review. Uh, Last time you were here was the 50th episode, and we discussed Bigfoot. And once again, you traveled all the way from Florida to be in this garage. That's the only reason you came all this. Pretty much. Not family, not friends. (laughs) Rank and Review. I wanted to get some business taken care of, because in my excitement of having you in the podcast last time, I neglected to notice that we actually did go zero for six in our ranks. All right. Uh, you said when we were having the conversation that we'd almost gone zero for six, and I just trusted you as you know the intelligent, capable person you are. Oh, I guess I guess we didn't quite go zero for six for a second there. I thought we had, but upon re-listening to it, we did. So you, sir, are owed a prize. <laughs> I like winning prizes, even when it's for being disagreeable. <laughs> So you got two little tokens of my love and appreciation. One of them is a graphic novel on Bigfoot that was written by Rob Zombie and done by the artist who created uh, 30 Days of Night, Steve Niles. If his name is. you could have invented, if you could have invented by three magical wishes, you could not have made, found something that would make me happier than this. <laughs> You're welcome. Bigfoot and Rob Zombie don't come together often enough. And I know this isn't quite Bigfoot related, but here I present to you the Charlton Heston <laughs> classic, Rod Serling written Planet of the Apes. No way. I mean, this is, these are gorilla suits, right? right. So it's close enough. There's a theme running through this. Thank you so much, Larry. These are incredibly generous gifts. And the sweetness of delayed victory makes them all the nicer. Well, uh, we don't have a lot of victories, or whatever you call the anti-victory, in rank and review. So I want to acknowledge them. And uh, plus, you've come all this way, and now I don't have to put that in the mail, because that book has been sitting here waiting to be posted for so long. Anyway, so that's out of the way. Uh, Brendan, what are we going to talk about today? I think we're going to talk about bears, Larry. Yes. 
grizzly bears for the most part, but I think we've got some black bear action as well coming. There's one black bear movie. I think that's the one outlier. Though well, otherwise, we could have just called this the grizzly one, right? Well, we also have a mutant bear. Yeah. So even though it may have been a grizzly before its DNA was altered by the effluent from... <laughs> we don't know what Katartan was. Yes. So we're going to have to spend some time on Exactly. <laughs> so, so four grizzlies, one black bear, and one miscellaneous. <clears throat> Yeah, so in a way, thematically, it's kind of similar to the Bigfoot in that we're going to have a lot of people in the woods yelling at each other <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, fairly violent stuff. There's no family comedies in this one, but there are two documentaries. Originally, I was just going to have uh, the Werner Herzog one, Grizzly Man, in here, but I thought I needed another documentary. Almost all the time, I find if I throw a documentary into the list, it, like, defaults to the top. I think something about telling a true story with the characters who were there is just got some automatic compelling factor that, that it, it, it just somehow overweights any kind of artifice that, that the other movies are attempting. So I put in another <laughs> documentary Sounds to like balance a wise the strategy, Larry. Uh, and this is a very famous uh, Canadian documentary from the 90s called Project Grizzly about a charming but I think maybe insane person <laughs> who is trying to build a suit so that he may fight a grizzly bear. <laughs> this is non-fiction. <laughs> so yes, Prophecy with Katartan, Grizzly Man, Grizzly, or Project Grizzly, the micro-budget Grizzly Rage, <laughs> the less micro-budget Into the Grizzly Maze, and what have I missed? I have missed... Backcountry. Backcountry, yes. Yeah, so this discussed uh, another Canadian-made one, but this time involving a black bear and uh, a, a very charming young couple who uh, enter the wrong, wrong, wrong piece, piece of woods. So that's what Brandon has come all this way to discuss with me. Uh, do you have any bear stories from your life? Is there a reason you particularly wanted to hit bears? This is a good question. This is a good question. I mean, I, I grew up in the middle of nowhere. I think I said that last time out in the woods. So yeah, I do have a lot of bear stories, a lot of bear run-ins including one time where, I mean, I have to take other people's word for it, I was staring at an anthill, <laughs> staring at an anthill in a very fixed way when I'm about 15 or 16, and so I didn't notice the bear staring at me. Oh. It's actually my father and a bunch of other people who came back around the path and frightened the bear off. Okay. I just heard the crash as it ran away into the woods. I've had a lot of bear run-ins, but on the other hand, I mean, I also love lion horror movies. Yeah. <laughs> Sharks. Bigfoot. When animals attack. Yeah, yeah. Fan. Well, so, so yeah, the bear may be a little more personal, but I think for me the secret is the visceral, physical horror. <laughs> None of this ghost stuff. Right. No spiritual dread. I want to watch a movie about something that will hurt people. There's a chance that you could be mauled by Katahdin in the woods. <laughs> well, maybe not that one, but a black bear is out there. Well, it's a not even the realism. Out. It's not even the realism because, yes, you know, some of these creatures are getting a little far-fetched. It's the physicality of mm. the threat, the danger. Yeah. I tend to say when I'm watching Netflix and I see it's a movie about a ghost, I mean, we're talking about being genre fans. Yeah. I have to really be convinced to watch a ghost movie. Right. But if there's a movie about a bear, You're a so lion, a Bigfoot, a shark, anything that's going to rend people limb from limb. You have me at hello, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So maybe it might not happen, but it feels more real than some ghost just, I don't know, scaring people. <laughs> Boo. Yeah, well, uh, my bear story is uh, kind of a little vague to me because I was so young I barely remember it. I remember the aftermath of it more than the actual thing. Uh, but my parents and I were camping in British Columbia somewhere, and uh, we'd gone out sightseeing. 
and when we came back, our campsite had been destroyed by a bear. Like, the, the tent was uh, unsalvageable. We had to go and stay at a relative's and, you know, drive a long distance. The camping trip was over. But I only saw the aftermath. I only saw the torn tent and the footprints and all of our, the, the cooler and everything sort of spilled about. And eventually it came out that Father had some peanuts in the tent. So it was all oh. Father's fault. Anyway, uh, so I didn't see the bear at that time, but it, it, at a young age, sort of with this, like, yikes, that was a real thing, and I could have been there, and I saw those paw prints, and geez, you know? But ever since then, anytime I've seen a bear, it's been all exclusively black bears, and as soon as I've seen them, they're running in the other direction. They want nothing to do with me. Even if we're driving by in a car and you see them, you just see their ass disappearing into the woods. So I haven't had a lot of real, proper encounters with bears, and... As such, I'm not particularly scared of them. This very summer, me and my kids are going to be going to uh, do some trail hiking in the mountains in Alberta, and there's plenty of bears there. So if some ironic, horrible, tragic event happens, <laughs> we can blame Rankin Review for bringing it about. Or at least <laughs> bestowing it with the yeah. retrospective irony. I'm never, yeah, indeed. I'm never really scared when I'm walking in the woods for about bears. Maybe I will be after recording this conversation, but I, I sometimes get scared for my kids. Huh. You know, like, because I'm a big, big target. I don't think that, that maybe if my kids were wandering alone in the woods that, like, a bear or a cat might seriously think about going after them. But, well, I'm not scared of them, but I love bear movies. Well, you know what? <laughs> to be honest, Larry, I feel like I'm thinking of it for the first time. There has not been a moment that I set foot in the woods that I didn't at least worry. What would happen if I ran into a bear? See, that's me in the ocean with sharks. Mm -hmm. If I put my toe in the ocean, I'm thinking about sharks. But I can walk a trail in the woods and just get lost in the nature and just be loving it and not worried about it. Like a surfer does when he's on the waves, right? I could never surf. It looks like an amazing sport. It looks like it would be so much fun. But sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> I can't do it. I am like, like I've said before when Charlene did the shark episode. Like, here we sit in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada, about as landlocked as you can possibly be, right? Like, my chances of being killed by a shark here are zero, but my mind obsesses over it. I'm way more likely to be killed by a bear than a shark, but I'm not scared of bears, and I am terrified of sharks. Yeah, but I think we all think about the shark thing, but yeah, yeah. bears are mine. There's Bears something. are my sharks, Larry. Well, uh, that, that'll put a little extra edge onto this uh, episode. Uh, anything else you want to say before we jump in? Other than I would only say that I was surprised looking at your list by what a rich genre this is. Compared to the Bigfoot episode, which was a lot of found footage and a lot sort of like picking like what's the least crappy of these you know this is what i'm saying there's nothing wrong there is nothing wrong with the choices you made but for every one i could think of several others right so for for whatever reason it's maybe an interesting thing just to observe that with a bigfoot subgenre is so poorly stocked there are no shortage of bear movies so yeah. i can't be the only one and no family comedies this time to get your vitriol damn right <laughs> For 13 years, Timothy Treadwell lived among the grizzly bears in the Alaskan wilderness. During that time, he shot over 100 hours of videotape. Until 2003, when he was killed by one of the bears he had sworn to protect. Well, I'm here with 
with one of my favorite bears. It's Mr. Chocolate. Hey, Mr. Chocolate. He's been with me for over a decade, and he's been my good friend. Oh, he's a big bear. He's a big bear. A very big bear. Wow. When you spend a lot of time with bears day after day, there's a calling that makes you want to come in and, and spend more time in the world. Expedition 2001, I came here and protected the animals as best I could. In fact, I'm the only protection for these animals out here. Animals rule, Timothy conquered. He tended to want to become a bear. Most times I'm a kind warrior out here. Occasionally I am challenged, and in that case, the kind warrior must, must, must become a samurai. So Werner Herzog is an insanely prolific director. He's done uh, lots of genres and lots of sort of strange, uh, ambitious pictures. He remade Nosferatu. He did both a, a documentary and a feature film on uh, this uh, POW survivor. And uh, he does documentaries on people on death row and sequels to movies like Bad Lieutenant. Like, he's all over the place. Uh, what we're going to talk about here, I think, is one of my very, very favorites of his films, not to tip my hand too early, called Grizzly Man. And the subject is a young man named Timothy Treadwell, who spent 15 uh, winters or summers, sorry, up in the north, uh, basically living with and falling in love with uh, these grizzly bears. Until, eventually, fate <laughs> dictated that he and this... Uh, companion that was out there with him for one of the visits were mauled to death by the grizzly bears. The documentary is basically a compilation of thousands of hours of footage that Timothy himself shot and very sort of morose, harsh sort of German narration from Werner Herzog examining both Timothy himself and Timothy's perspective on nature and Herzog's. Well, that's what makes the movie so complicated. And I'll tip my this it's not just one of my favorite of Werner Herzog's movies, it is one of my favorite films. But what makes it so wonderful is that there are several movies going on. So much of the footage is just Timothy Treadwell's footage. Yep. Yes, Werner Herzog has edited it, or sometimes he'll inject himself in other ways, but a lot of it is his movie. And then there's the movie Werner Herzog made about putting together the Treadwell footage. Right. So not only do you have him interviewing Timothy Treadwell's friends or other people, so adding his own footage to all the wonderful footage that you already have of Timothy Treadwell with the bears, but you have Werner Herzog sort of critically commenting on Timothy Treadwell as a filmmaker. There's, there's a great part where he says, oh yes, you know, Timothy Treadwell got all this beautiful footage of himself with the bears, but he didn't see that some of the most beautiful footage, was beautiful moments, lay in the quiet moments. Not even himself. There's a bit where um, Werner Herzog plays us a bit of Treadwell's footage where he gets out of, he doesn't turn off the camera, but he's out of the frame, and you just see the tall grass blowing in the wind like that. And so Werner Herzog holds on it for a while, sort of saying that, yeah, yeah, he, he didn't know how good some of his footage was, but now I'm going to show you. Yeah. So there's almost a struggle between the two filmmakers. There's Timothy Treadwell, the original filmmaker's footage, and then Werner Herzog coming in and making a movie out of this other person's footage. Yeah. So it's complicated in that sense. I also have it tethered to me because uh, I read this book called uh, Into the Wild. And uh, this was a story about a guy who basically abandoned his family and wanted to live off the map, and he ended up dying in a bus in Alaska, starving to death, or maybe perhaps poisoning himself by accidentally eating. There's debate on what happened. 
And the fallout or after his bodies were found was sort of split between sort of the hippy-dippy left sort of saying, oh, he loved nature and, you know, it's such a tragedy and he, you know, he died the way he wanted to live, but it shouldn't have been. And the sort of flip side of the coin was saying, that guy just wandered into the woods. He didn't know what he was doing. He didn't bring a map. He just, he was ignorant. Right. His ignorance killed him. And the book is very much an examination of those two things. What, what was it? What led to this man's death? And I can't help but feel the same thing here with Shredwell. There, on one part, I have a lot of respect for how much he loves these animals and that his, his will to help them is a very sincere thing. Not that he's necessarily helping them. It's unclear how yeah, he is helping them. In his head, he's helping By them. being out there with them, yeah. but yes. But he loves the bears. Like, yeah, and he's he very good at not being eaten the by them. He, he made it for a very long time. And the footage is, uh, is incredible. Yes. How close he is to the bears, how it, you could understand why he would see the bears are cool with me, because the bears seem used to him. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so on one hand, yeah, I, I have a certain amount of respect for him. But on the other hand, I'm like, you idiot. What have you done? <laughs> like, how could you not expect this to happen? Well, I mean, Werner Herzog shows us that debate, and he'll have some local people say, oh, I think the bears just left him alone because he was so stupid they felt sorry for him. So a lot of people who say that, you know, are very serious. But then they're anthropomorphizing the bears as well, right? Right, or, but, but then there's someone else who says, oh, you know, in, in the Aboriginal culture, we've always understood that you can't, you know, cross the boundary between human and animal. You've got to respect their and their world being ours. So you hear different voices condemning him, and... I don't know, though. I think Werner Herzog is getting at a different problem, a different question. I He makes it kind of clear that Timothy Treadwell was an unhappy guy before. Mm -hmm. he, this was probably the best way for him to live. He was miserable in the human world. It's more, he makes it more an argument not about whether he was right or wrong to go out there, but whether his view of nature, and right. you were alluding this, was right or wrong. Werner Herzog, I think, respects the fact that Timothy Treadwell went out and lived there that way. So he respects his actions, but he still thinks his idealistic view of the bears and of nature is stupid. Yeah. I don't necessarily think that he thought he was like Snow White and that the birds were going to land on his shoulders and that the bears were his friends. You can tell that if the bears get too close, he, he tenses up. And, yeah. he, and like he would have to learn how to behave carefully around the bears. Yes. It's not zippity doo dah. It's not like uh, you know he has a personal relationship, or he thinks he has a personal relationship. But he respected the boundary, and he knew when he was getting into the danger zone. Really, I think he did imagine it was that way. I mean, there's a point where he's almost tearfully thanking the fox for being his friend. Yeah. He has that hunger for that connection, and he touches the poo of the one bear yeah. because he loves the bear so much. And he's touching her shit while it's still warm, and he's thrilled. So while he understood that they were dangerous, his fantasy was exactly that, that he would just but be among them. But he knew when it was getting dangerous as well. Yes, yeah, like he, he, he could tell when safe. The, the bears were getting too close or getting too curious or getting too aggressive. Yeah. He would back off or he would try and get them to back off. Yes. So it wasn't completely that he was ignorant of the danger of the bears. Well, <laughs> it was that he didn't understand necessarily, nor do you or I or anybody, what a bear is thinking at any given time. Well, and this is what I'm saying, is that Werner Herzog cuts back the whole question, gets past that argument that you can often have, just was he right or wrong to go out there? Yeah. 
And he takes him seriously enough in that way, but he wants to ask, what is your philosophy of nature? Yeah. The natural world. There's a place where he editorializes and says that in the bear's eyes, he sees nothing. Yeah. No love, no friendship, because Timothy Treadwell may have thought they're dangerous, but they're my friends. Yeah. He says, I see nothing. This is a bored, somewhat hungry animal, yeah. wondering if maybe he'll eat you. And this is, of course, a recurring film, theme in Werner Herzog's. Films, how little nature cares about us. And how when Treadwell is confronted by that, like when the wolves kill his fox friend. Oh, yeah. And he mourns it and cannot get his hand around it because the math doesn't work with his view of the universe. That this sweet, friendly fox would just get mauled by another animal and not even killed, just, or not even eaten, just, just killed. You know, mm-hmm. how that fits into his view of nature. Well, it, it doesn't. So uh, you can see him genuinely rattled by that. Right. But he still presses forward and he still, you know, runs the program that, you know, nature is love and uh, I'm loving nature back. And uh, there's a little bit of fear, you know, I think he's making, trying to make a folk hero of himself. There's a little bit of self-aggrandizing, mm-hmm. but again, a little. Uh, maybe even a lot. Like he's very self-obsessed. He wanted to be an actor, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, I think you have to have a bit of an ego if you're going to go into that sort of world. And that didn't play out for him. So instead he's going to, he is going to, you know, turn himself maybe into this folk hero. And even if that was part of it, like I said, I do genuinely believe that he loved these bears. And that's part of the epic tragedy of the fact mm-hmm. that he was killed by them. Um, they've even said in the course of the documentary that the bears that mauled him, that they ended up mm-hmm. shooting, was not one of the bears that they saw mm-hmm. in the footage. It was, it was a different one. So, like, it wasn't one of his buddies that mauled him, which no. in some way would have reinforced Herzog's perspective, right? This was an unfamiliar bear who was very, very hungry. Actually, Werner Herzog thinks they might have caught it on film, because near the end, he's filming a bear who is very desperately trying to get rotting salmon right. from the bottom of a pond, and he says, could this be the killer? But it wasn't a familiar bear. Yeah, they didn't, yeah, but it wasn't one of the ones that he'd named. No, that he'd come and back got and to know. Season after season. What would confirm Timothy Treadwell's belief? He'd say, this doesn't count. Yeah. I successfully lived with the bears who were my friends. Yeah. And one of the really chilling things about it is that the camera was still rolling while the attack happened. The yes. lens cap was on. So there's uh, like a, something like 17-minute audio of the attack. The bear killing him and his friend. Yeah, and uh, the bear grabbed hold of him by the head, apparently, and his girlfriend was trying to beat the bear away, and you could apparently hear Timothy telling her to go. Timothy kind of realized that it was not going to play out, and she didn't. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean... What a horrifying thing. Like, uh, and that can't really get lost in the discussion. As much as I do yeah. find it fascinating, like where do we place in nature? We are animals, and yet we are very different than the other animals around us. Like, we have a want to be connected to them, but we are not like them in a very fundamental way. And while that debate is fascinating, what shouldn't be lost in this is that two people were ripped apart by a bear. They handle that so well. Werner Herzog... Not only has, I mean, he doesn't play the tape. I mean, that would be the ultimate found footage, gruesome horror, but he has has the coroner describe it. Mm -hmm. And then we get to see a friend of Timothy Treadwell's listen to it. Yeah. Listen to it without us being able to hear it and see her response. So it's, it's done in a way that, if anything, just makes the horror of that moment. All the more real. And again, I just, we're so lucky that Herzog found this subject because I think another director mm-hmm. either would have made a hero out of Treadwell, 
which is kind of what happened with that book I was talking about, Into the mm-hmm. Wild. Sean Penn made a movie about it, and McCandless became a hero. I know. And uh, I think that he kind of might have missed the point a little bit of the book. Uh, in this case, Herzog doesn't miss the point. He, he makes the movie sort of about his perspective on nature, about the bears, and mainly about Treadwell. Who is this guy, you know? And he's not a hero. He's got flaws, but he is fascinating. And he, you know, lived a fascinating life, a tragic life. And uh, we were lucky enough that he shot all of this footage so that we can, maybe we could never really understand him, but we can be closer to understanding what that relationship between man and nature is. That's how big a theme Herzog has tapped into here. And uh, that's why, you know, having a documentary in this sort of list of movies about people being mauled by bears seems kind of unfair because I find the subject fascinating. There's Mm -hmm. an element of philosophy and maybe even spirituality to it. And, you know, there's a deep vein of like who humanity is all tapped into out of this well it's philosophical it is but also I ended up just liking Timothy Treadwell as a person maybe that's why I'm assuming that Werner Herzog is not condemning him I'm probably just reading my feelings in but he presented him in such a way that I liked him where I saw the movie adaptation of Into the Wild and I hated I hated the selfish guy at the center of that movie. Someone who runs off without telling his family where he's going. Just stupidly half-starves. He poisons himself because he's starving. I'm just like, I don't know if Sean Penn wanted me to think he was noble, but he failed. I'm like, you idiot! Well, that's the thing. I don't necessarily think that this is a heroic death. Maybe a noble, but not a heroic death. Uh, and, uh, I didn't say noble, I said I liked him. He right. just comes off as however goofy, however sort of egocentric or silly. I liked Timothy Treadwell. I liked spending time with him. And Werner Herzog with, lets me. Yeah, with yeah. McCandless. No, Werner Herzog lets us spend time with him. They'll have the footage of him just walking along, talking yeah. to the camera. Like he always knew he was making this movie to share with us. And if he hadn't been... Such a magnetic personality, it wouldn't have worked for me. And he also shows us his flaws. They show, yes. like, like, uh, yeah, he's a bit of an egomaniac. And yes, he, like, throws tantrums at the sky. And he films himself, apparently, like, like Kubrickian takes. He would do, like, he had some paragraph he wanted to say. And he would film himself saying this yes. paragraph hundreds and hundreds of times just to get it just the way he wanted it. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, he really wanted to sell not just the bears, but... McCandless as the savior of the bears, even though, as you Treadwell. said, er, Treadwell, sorry, Treadwell is the savior of the bears. But even though, as you said, what he was actually doing for the bears is kind of vague. He was studying the bears, but how he was helping, they were already in a protected area. He was trying to publicize their existence, but right, they were already protected. I'm not sure what more publicity for them would do. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> uh, he was trying to become an educator and he was trying, you know to spend time with these bears that he loved. But if I didn't like him, then I would be less charitable towards the fact that he's probably not helping anybody. But the character seduced me, so for all the great philosophical aspects, there's that human element too. And that human element, I think we're going to find, is going to not be present in a lot of the other movies we talk about. I'm afraid so. It is not the offspring of witchcraft or Satan. It was created by man. It will grow to be 15 feet tall. It will have huge eyes, webbed hands, hooked claws. It will walk upright. And 
mind and will mindlessly, mercilessly kill every living thing it meets. Prophecy. Um, in 1979, a fairly respected director named John Frankenheimer, I think, wanted to throw his hat into sort of the pool of all of the popular high-profile directors making horror films that were considered films, not movies, in the 70s. Like Jaws being the best example. Jaws, The Exorcist, The Omen, The, the Shining, like all of these late 70s movies where real auteurs were attempting these genre exercises, right? Um, Prophecy is a not-much-remembered one of these, <laughs> and I did not want to... I'm not entering it in that canon of those movies that I just listed, but it was sort of where... Hollywood was where it wasn't uh, for some for some reason it wasn't untoward for a high-profile director to make a big-budget horror movie like it, it wasn't weird anymore uh, the other interesting thing about this movie is Frankenheimer moved production to British Columbia it's one of the first major studio productions that came up and sort of started a big windfall in British Columbia for films and television being shot there uh, so it's sort of an important movie in that way I also found out when, because uh, you and I kind of compiled this list together, you re-brought this movie to my attention uh, when I was reading up on it. It's a sort of a preferred guilty pleasure movie of Stephen King, oh. who I'm a fan of. So uh, uh, I got all this information about the movie. Oh, it's historically significant to Canada. It's right in that sort of sweet spot of 70s horror. It's an interesting director. And uh, well, let's do this. Let's watch some Prophecy. And uh, I was gobsmacked by it. Like, I, I, I have a hard time articulating my thoughts on the movie. Like, it is so fucking weird. <laughs> like, and it's another one of those great movies that would just never... It was so of its time and place. This movie would not be made that way today at all. The creature effects are barely adequate to my mind. <laughs> and you've got Armand Asante playing a native person, which is something that people are increasingly sensitive to. I think he's Italian and Irish. Yeah. Uh, although I don't think he's bad in the movie. <laughs> but like it's just it's the kind of stuff that would make people feel really uncomfortable. The whole way the Native American community is sort of portrayed in the movie is a little bit condescending <laughs> or maybe a lot depending on the scene. And uh, I just sort of sat there watching this on my computer with my mouth hanging open like what is this thing? <laughs> it's like the first time someone sees a platypus. <laughs> you know? So, uh, it's not boring, it's certainly interesting, but I don't know if I could recommend it. It's just this movie called Prophecy. So help me, Brendan, help me unpack Katartan, a mutant bear monster. <laughs> yeah, I think you do need to start with the fact, Larry, that the late 70s, early 80s saw so many big budget genre movies. Yeah. A-list actors, A-list directors, resources towards what are clearly B-movies. There's no stigma to it at all. Because anymore. it's the only way to explain how this got made. It's, <laughs> it's not an excuse for this movie, but it's an explanation for this movie. Because this movie is terrible. I thought it was terrible, but also bizarre in the way that usually small, scrappy, independent horror movies are. Not very good, very weird, and yet... Talia Shire yep. in it as well, Armand Asante, John Frankenheimer, Everything they brought money to every part of this production, and only you're right, probably at this moment would they have that much money for actors, for production, for such a terrible and eccentric piece of horror movie. Uh, I didn't want to say crap, it's not right, camp. I'm not sure. Well, that's the thing, like, I, I don't want to completely say this is not terrible, a terrible movie. 
but it has all the ingredients of a terrible movie. <laughs> and like you'd you'd think by the description that we're talking about a like a no budget movie, you know, made you know probably in Canada or something, right? But no, like you say, big budget production. Also interesting to note, Frankenheimer. I think he was coming off of the French Connection too. At this point, was fighting a losing battle with alcoholism, and he himself has admitted that uh, he was. It was in the phase where he thought he could, you know, be a professional director and a professional drinker simultaneously, and uh, that some of the problems he has himself sort of borne the brunt of. But did it look good on paper? <laughs> Well, it was a best-selling novel, and that's where they always start. There had already been a mutant bear novel that had right. sold very well. And you see the aspirations. There are certain elements of this that are not just your low-budget, quickie horror movie. The attempt to touch on higher, more important themes. At the beginning of the movie, Talia Shire's boyfriend is working as a doctor in these poor in the neighborhoods in the ghettos in New York with poor kids being bitten by rats and he gives a bunch of high-minded speeches about social inequality and then this is supposed to tie in with his wanting to help these aboriginal people in Maine mm -hmm. to help them with the problems they're having with the lumber mill here's another oppressed and disadvantaged people he's going to fight for so it had that whole sort of pretension to big ideas mm -hmm. and important social themes that you don't see in a quicker horror movie but it was clearly the writer yeah. trying to elevate, elevate the subject matter. Well, I thought it was interesting, too, that he was just a raw nerve of compassion the whole time. Yeah, he's going to help, like, say, he works doctor in the ghetto, and uh, he's going to go come help save this uh, environmental crisis that's going on. Right. Uh, help the but he has no interest in being a father himself, right? Well, did he ever find out, Larry? I don't think he did, because you see, Talia Shire finds out she's pregnant, but yeah. she hasn't really told him. Because she had said that he didn't want to be a father. Okay, okay, he of, probably had. There, well, well, there was some sort of reason that she was like anxious about that. I don't know that it was he was too busy saving the world to focus his energies on a child okay. or whatever, but I thought it was a weird sort of beat that she was so scared that he was not going to be this amazing father, because, like, like... Uh, I... I also thought it was interesting they sort of tried to make this sort of big quest uh, sort of vibe of the first third of the movie, right? We, we pull him out of the big city where there's the opening sting where people are killed by something in the woods, right? And uh, then, you know, they flies out to Maine and they go on this epic car journey and they, they meet the roadblock with the Native Americans and then they get on a boat and they sail and there's all this, like, this grand sort of sweeping movement, like we're on this epic adventure. The way you wouldn't get in a typical bear beam movie, right? Where it was just like a bunch of kids go to the woods and are killed, right? There's something grand about the approach to the movie that you don't see in the smaller budget films, which it's like I said, small budget aesthetic, big budget approach, and it feels strange. It doesn't really, but especially though, because even though clearly when John Frankenheimer was filming it, he was taking the time to have all of these set up to make it a real journey from the slums of New York to the woods of Maine. The movie is under two hours long. So it got cut so much in editing. But a lot of violence got cut out of it too. It got cut weird. so much so that it feels to me the movie ends very quickly. It yeah. builds up, builds up. It feels like a two and a half hour movie where the opening, which should have been the slow leisure opening, is still there. Right. But then the ending... You barely, they barely discover the monster of the movie, the horrible bear who has been mutated, I guess, by Mercury from the yeah. paper mill. They barely really encountered the mutant bear, and the movie's nearly over. It's the final shovel fight already. Yeah. 
And the problem, I, I just think, was when the studio saw how bad it was, they thought that they could just trim it down a little. Yeah. But it makes it even more uncomfortable, the long, epic takes of the beginning with how quickly everything is dispatched. There is, yes, as you said, we haven't really, I guess, talked about the plot, although I think it's self-explanatory. People are being killed in the woods. They, they bring in this guy to help figure out what's going on. There's a company man who says it's not us, but he clearly finds out that it is them and finally ends up owning it and being killed, right? It's like uh, the basic bare bones of the plot is sort of classic in a form. There's nothing really uh, deep about it. But I, where I know the movie's not working, even though, like, like I say, I, I find it interesting and bizarre just watching it. It's such a strange movie. But when when big characters get killed off, like when the, the company man who finally owns up to the fact that they've done wrong gets killed, I feel nothing. When Armando Sante stands his ground against the bear and is swiped off the screen, I feel nothing. When the, you know, uh, Native American chief stands by the water's edge to face Kadarton and he gets ragdolled, I kind of laughed a little bit because it looked sort of silly, you know. There's a scene where a, a camp is attacked and this kid is in a sleeping bag. Oh, that's classic. It's a wonderful moment. He's hopping around. It's a banana yellow sleeping bag, hopping around, wrapped up in the sleeping bag. He doesn't even get out of the sleeping bag to run away no. from the bear. He, he hops away like... It's so absurd. And then he gets hit by the bear, though. He gets hit by the bear, and there's a cloud of feathers that go up. And he goes and, like, it smashes against a rock or a tree, something, something, and it's, like, I, it's meant to be taken seriously. I really think that they were going for serious, but, like, that is nothing but hilarious or slapstick or, like, a, a scene out of a whole different movie. Like, it's amazing that nobody on set was like, are we sure about this, right? <laughs> But yeah, there's a lot about intentionally funny stuff, but you're also noting that a lot of the plot threads go nowhere, which yeah. is why I think over-editing. Yeah. Too much editing happened, so characters are established. They spend so long establishing Armand Asante's character and as one dead. of the leaders of the tribe, and his story right, doesn't develop. Talia Shire is worried because she does know she's pregnant. She eats some of the local tainted fish, which, you know, when bears eat it, they become, their children become mutants. She also gets hella mauled. Yes, yes, she's worried her baby will be a mutant, but we never find out. We yeah. never find out what happened. That whole line, she's worried, but it's left at that. I don't even think we found out what her boyfriend thinks about her being pregnant in the yeah. end. No, because all that track was set down and it didn't lead anywhere. The writer, I'm sure, was was furious about that. If you could get the writer, he's like, no, 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 I'd set all of that up so there'd be a nice payoff for all of these characters, all of these stories. But when it becomes a 95-minute movie, yeah. that all gets lost. So to go back to where I started with oh. this review, I'm like, I don't know what to say to the listeners out there. It's like, I don't think this is a good movie. But part of me says you should maybe take a look at it just because of how strange it is. <laughs> but, like, do I? Is that a recommendation? <laughs> well, I've thought about this. These are genre movies we're talking about. Yeah. You know, you watch, I know, I watch bear movies because they're about bears mauling people. <laughs> and, and to some extent, when you get into a genre like this, quality doesn't matter as much. It's a movie about a giant mutant bear, and yes, as you said, the, the effects look pretty stupid for the bear, but nonetheless, it's a giant mutant bear movie, and there are people who are going to watch it because that's what it is, and now we've alerted them to its existence, so we've done our part. But when the final stinger comes up, and spoilers for prophecy, everyone, this movie made in 1979, <laughs> as they're flying away or escaping the danger... And another Katartan bear rears up its face, and there's more mutant bears in the forest. Well, 
if there was anybody who was A, surprised by that, or B, scared by it, I will eat my hat. Well, I was surprised and scared. It goes back to the silly shots. The way he pops up is so yeah. sudden. It's something <laughs> off. I'm not a director, but it's almost like a pop-up toy. Yeah, that's like, it springs up into a, the screen. A Muppet emerging from under the Exactly. Screen. And so there's something a bit shocking and a bit silly about it. Just off. Sort of in the spirit. It's a fitting end to the whole movie. Yeah. But it's like, and then we credit slam down, like, credits. Exactly. Nailed it. <laughs> you know? And again, my jaw is just hanging open, like, what is this movie? What is this absurd prophecy movie? And again, it's of its time and place. Nothing like this could ever be made other than when it was and how it was. So there are people who would therefore enjoy seeing it, and you know who you are. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, if you're like a millennial or if you're... If you're just sort of a passive sort of <laughs> watcher of horror movies, then thank you so much for listening to the podcast, by the way. But you could probably do better. Uh, does this qualify as a bear movie? Does technically that was the one thing I was like, it's it's a mutant bear thingy, but it's sort close of, enough. It's yeah, yeah. It's the Harry and the Hendersons of this selection. <laughs> Who's my boy? For these four friends, a weekend of fun is about to become. You know that place is like get it up for a reason, right? Much more wild. What the hell is that? That's a grizzly cub. Now. Rich! Rich! To survive. Where's Rich? They must outsmart a beast. I don't believe this. I don't believe this. More vicious than nature ever intended. Oh my god. What is happening to us? Okay, uh, so speaking of movies that were filmed in Canada, <laughs> uh, I talked about it with Prophecy in 1979. It was one of the first big budget movies that came here, and it sort of started a whole bunch of people that suddenly realized wow, there's amazing landscapes up here, and we save money. We actually save money shooting in Canada. Uh, so this is from 2007. This was shot in Manitoba. It's called Grizzly Rage, and it was got like a $200,000 budget. This is a micro-budget production. Speaking as a person who's attempting to make micro-budget films, my heart goes out to them. I am cheering for them. If you're making a no-budget movie, or a slasher movie, or a monster movie, or a bear movie, I'm on your side. I am here. I will put up with a lot. So I go into Grizzly Rage knowing that I'm not probably going to see high art, but what they come up with. Let me see the potential in this group, right? So I want to be sitting here saying, well, despite the fact that they were hindered by a budget, they were able to really ramp up some decent suspense. Or, it's not a great movie, but there was a couple of performances that could really redeem the, the, the proceedings. Or, the cinematographer knows his shit. Everybody else maybe needs to find work elsewhere. I was trying to find the, that thing that I could grab hold of so I could say... Grizzly Rage is terrible, but... And I just couldn't get there. I just couldn't get there. I want to be telling you that these young Canadian filmmakers, you know, hit one. He scored one for the team, and yeah. Amazing work, you guys. But I hope nobody was... This wasn't their dream project. This wasn't their life work, because it has the feeling of a movie that was utterly slapped together. <laughs> um... 
I tried to find some stuff on the film just so I could have interesting factoids to drop. And the most interesting thing that I can bring to it was that at the beginning of the production, there was a different ending to the movie. But oh, they really? decided during the course of production that they wanted to go a little different, make this one a little edgier. The ending is one of the worst parts, but... Brendan, what did you think of Grizzly Rage? Well, I was going to say to you that it's not just somebody like yourself who wants to make a movie who appreciates a shoestring budget. Yeah. I love to cheer. We were talking about Absentia before we started filming here. Yeah, love it. Yeah. Great movie done with no money. The original Blair Witch Project. Totally. Even... Even the first Paranormal Activity movie. First Evil Dead. <clears throat> Not my idea of a great movie, but I'm impressed by how economically, you know, an invisible monster. That, that's a great way to get around your special effects problems. If you can make it scary... Tangerine. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Okay, but yeah, so there are many wonderful, wonderful shoestring movies, and yeah, this is not. And I was going to say the director, um, David DeCoteau, unfortunately isn't some young guy trying to make it into the movie business. No, he's cynical. How can I make a quick return, right? He's learned long ago that this is the sort of movie that he can make. Yeah. And that he does make, and that he's going to make a living in the Canadian film industry operating on this level. Yeah. So it was, it was really really terrible and perhaps perhaps I mean I, I suppose there was if you consider how little money it was made for there was some professionalism it wasn't like WTF bad no. but it was just bad in the ordinary way in I, that depressingly run of the mill badness there were a couple of shots where I believe they had an actual bear no well, there's a couple of shots where there's like whether they had a bear on oh, the no, set oh no they had a bear on the set yeah Oh, but there's a couple of shots where like there's so many of these bear movies we'll talk to the other ones where you know the actors do not interact with the bear because there's no safe way to do it that's what and, I thought and they sell it or they don't but there's a few shots where there's an actual bear in this movie. It's not with the actors, but there's an oh, actual Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, much, yes. Much like in Jaws, where they cut to the actual footage of the great white shark. A lot of these low-budget bear movies won't even give us that. Won't even have a bear. So they had an actual bear, and they destroyed a Jeep. That Jeep that they mm -hmm. had, they clearly, that's where the budget sank, right? They destroyed that car. But just very basic things. When we started watching the movie, like the font of the credits screamed like... Cable 10, right? Uh, the the, the uh, DVD that I have, there's a little distortion blur on the top line uh, of the screen the whole time I'm watching the movie. This is the official product of the movie. Everything about this screams, we're doing this as cheaply as we possibly can. And uh, if I was saying they were doing this as cheaply as they possibly can, but they're trying to make the best product they could, considering that, then again, I would be defending them. But there's so much that is so sloppy. There's so many fucking tedious montage sequences <laughs> you've got it there it's not in it's not complete incompetence it's sloppiness and laziness and that's worse yeah it is worse i don't believe that the director cared i think some no. of the cast members cared because their faces are going to be on the poster and they're going to be in it so they're trying to do what they can with this terrible script but the director doesn't care and that is so obvious mm -hmm. that is so obvious uh, I'll do really brief service to the script. <laughs> this is a, a horror movie where a bunch of young people do everything wrong. Interchangeable, dumb young <laughs> yeah. people. There's uh, four kids in a car. I don't didn't take the time to remember their names because the movie doesn't really care about them. They drive up to Montana, actually, yeah. in the movie, but really they stay around Winnipeg. <laughs> yeah, they drive north of Winnipeg. <laughs> and uh, 
They go to a place that is forbidden. They actually break a chain on a fence to go somewhere they shouldn't, where they ride recklessly fast, and they run over a grizzly cub. As far as I'm concerned, I'm on the side of the bear so far, right? These kids went somewhere they shouldn't be. They killed this bear cub, and we've got the mother who has this grizzly rage. There's a clarity, at least, and simplicity to that, but they muddle even that up because they start going on this environmental track where they find these barrels tipped over and they've done something that So is it an evil Katartan mutant bear, or is it a mother who, who's avenging the death of her baby, or both? The movie doesn't care. Well, <laughs> if I had to sort of settle on what I hated most about it, I mean, there's bad acting, there's bad directing... But it was the editing. It was how muddled the story becomes at a certain point. There's a certain point where you really don't know where the characters are. They keep going back and forth between this sort of place with the barrels, going to an old trapper shed, and then they go back to the car and back to the trapper shed. Yeah. And there's a point where I lose even the basic sense of what's happening in the story. And so many scenes where there's really cheesy synthy music playing and people walking or running places. Like, they had 45 minutes of script that they milked to 80 minutes of movie. Like, oh my god, <laughs> so frustrating. Uh, I think that they were probably, this is just me fucking making shit up because obviously I wasn't there, I don't know anything about the production, and nobody has really cared enough to write anything about the <laughs> production that I could find. But I imagine that they were getting well into production and they knew, like, this is like a no-budget-nothing movie uh, that's not going to be great. How can we make it memorable? Well, let's jettison the standard ending of the script where the hot girl gets away. <laughs> and let's kill everybody. Yeah! We'll make it super hard and make it be like, yeah, like, no one's going to see that coming. They'll be haunted by this movie. It'll be, it'll be disturbing, right? You're giving it's, them too much credit. The execution of it is terrible. And you know what? If we cared about any of the characters, maybe that would be true. But as these characters have proved themselves to be unlikable, who've done everything wrong consistently, like, even to the point, like, when the girl... The girl could have gotten away very easily at that point. It was almost like she wanted the movie to be over. <laughs> well, it was so strange, because out of the blue, she somehow traps the grizzly in this flimsy cabin at the end. Yep. Even though before, this wouldn't have stopped the grizzly. Somehow, like, she props up a shovel against the door, basically, and this is enough to keep the grizzly from getting out. Yep. And both characters buy the premise that they've now defeated the grizzly. They're like, thank goodness it's over. Remember the scene a few minutes before this where it tore out the back end of the vehicle and dragged the guy? Just don't That's think right. About, don't think about it. No. She's, she's blocked shovel, the door. Shovel. She's blocked the door. He can't. <laughs> the grizzly now can't get out the door. And we're supposed to buy because otherwise if we weren't feeling all oh, good they've defeated the grizzly, yeah. we wouldn't be ready for the terrible surprise <laughs> when the grizzly breaks out and for the first time in the movie manages to actually kill them because yeah. there have been a dozen other scenes right. where the Almost grizzly runs and chases them and they get in the way. But now because the movie's over, this time it gets them. Well, the guy makes the does the typically chick thing of running and then just falling for no reason. Oh, I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> I don't know. Like, I, the actors are not great, but they don't have a great script to deal with. And uh, like I said, there was not enough for a movie here. They just, the whole thing feels stretched out and cheap. It's another one of those movies that's on my wall now and I'm kind of ashamed. I feel like I like, 
Oh, what's this Christian marriage movie? Is that any good? No. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm an idiot. <laughs> well, the one thing I, I still personally would recommend it, being from Saskatchewan, the countryside they're in, just west of Winnipeg, looks, looks very, very familiar. Yeah. It looks very familiar, and it's actually the closest to any horror movie I've seen that looks like to taking place where I actually grew up. So it has some nostalgia value for me. I'll offer this about Grizzly Rage. It gave me some clarity. Where I was muddled in how to react to prophecy, I am not with Grizzly Rage. I could say, yeah, prophecy is bad, but it's got this weird craziness to it that it's charming. Grizzly Rage is one of the longer 80 minutes you could spend watching a movie. Like, seriously, go clip your toenails, call a relative you haven't spoken to in a long time, masturbate. Do not watch Grizzly Rage. If you just took the last 40 minutes of that movie in 10 minute blocks and moved them around and reversed their order, you wouldn't notice. Because it's just a bunch of round and round bear attack scenes. And I don't think it's something that could be salvaged in editing or anything like that. And like, oh, maybe if we play with the format, we'll start with them getting killed and then we'll show what led up to it. There was no salvaging this movie. There was no salvaging this movie. All right. Well, then I will just uh, confess that when I rented this movie years ago in Wisconsin, I still enjoyed it. Really? I was not sorry that I rented it. Really? This just shows perhaps how hardcore I am. It I didn't think so it was bad good. It's a good way, or it's just... No, I just didn't regret it. It was a movie where a bear killed people, and, you know, sometimes one wants to watch that. I don't know. I don't know what it was. I guess you know, I've had movies that felt longer, that made me more angry, but there was such a blandness. And <laughs> the, the tangible fact that it was so obvious that nobody on board behind the scenes cared... The fact that I know that they didn't care kind of makes me care less. But didn't you love the CGI blood? No. In two different moments. There was a moment earlier on and at the very end where, where CGI blood lens. sprays on the lens of the camera and we <laughs> see the words, Grizzly Rage. <laughs> uh, I don't know what more I can say about Grizzly Rage. <laughs> like, uh, I would only add that it's, as I think we said last year, the exact same plot as exists. Oh, that's right. And you like that well enough. So. Well, here's the thing. Yeah, I, thank you for saying that. Yeah, you're right. As far as them hitting a, 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 a baby on the road and then the mother or the father, you know, reaping its revenge. But I will say the people who made Exist were trying to make a scary movie and they cared. And so I like that movie more. And just... Caring in, makes a difference. In execution and performance in every way, Exist is superior. Like, to mention Exist in the same breath as Grizzly Rage <laughs> is sort of productive, I think. But, uh... I liked Exists more than you did, so... We're in the kill zone. When you see that bear, you kill it. It's like your bear was tracking This ain't your average bear. This is a clever one. You couldn't play tag with it? Our best shot. Too deep in the maze. This bear is not territorial or hungry. It's pissed off. When a grizzly gets angry, all of you taste the same. All right, so uh, whereas Grizzly Rage was a no-budget <laughs> grizzly bear attack movie made in Canada, we're going to move it up to a significant budget, not huge, but a better budget, 
uh, American financed Canadian produced uh, grizzly adventure called Into the Grizzly Rage. Rage? Maze. Into the Grizzly Maze. That's the second time I've said that. Into the Grizzly Maze. It's a relatively recent uh, movie and uh, the thing that sort of will stand out about it is considering again like we talked about with prophecy that this is a b-level movie it's got a a-level cast i mean james marston's not a superstar but he's one of the x-men you know billy bob thornton is sort of playing this uh, master hunter role sort of like uh, he's getting closer to superstar status certainly he doesn't have to take movies like yeah. this thomas jane was the yeah. punisher you know and he's, he's on the rest piper parabo's been around and she's you know cool. all people who don't have to do b movies that's right that's right and uh i think that what we're dealing with here i think that you know the cast is able they're professional actors whether or not they connected with the script or not they they're hired to do a job they're going to sell the premise i believe the director in this case is cares he wants to make his good scary grizzly movie so i'm more on board with this movie I think that main problems of this movie are sort of the conventions with which the script deals with and some of the execution of the bear attacks because it's not an easy thing to do a convincing bear attack. You can't really have an actor on screen with a you know, 12 foot grizzly bear in any way that is safe. Uh, you can have a 12 foot grizzly bear, you can have an actor. Tying the two together is difficult. And that was the uh, real battle, I think, that was being fought with Into the Grizzly Maze. Because on a production level and on a script level, by killer bear movie standards, it's solid. It is. It's not amazing, but it's solid. So uh, it's a good pass the time. I get the feeling like this is a movie that you could watch and then two weeks later have completely forgotten that you ever watched it. But it's inoffensive. Right? Uh, I would be in this movie. If someone was on a cast in this shit, I would be all over that, you know? This is much more my type of bear movie than Grizzly Rage, but I'm willing to hear an alternate take. Well, yeah, this is where I think we are most going to disagree. I really didn't like this movie, which again made the casting all the more baffling. Right. I mean, it, it was a really, compared to, say, Prophecy, which had the basis of a well-constructed screenplay, this was terrible. There's no story. Except for a bunch of random reasons, a bunch of people all wander off into this grizzly maze at once and get chased by a grizzly bear. Yeah. That's the whole story. Even more than prophecy, there are sort of all these loose threads of storylines that never go somewhere. So we have James Marsden getting out of prison, having killed a man, coming back to his hometown, and Adam Beach is his friend, and he knows Adam Beach is lost out in the woods. He's going to go find him. And that ends up with him just finding Adam Beach dead. So yeah. too, so much for that. And he has this... J and and then, then Thomas Jane is his brother, who's a cop in the town. And they haven't always got along, but their father has a history with the Grizzly Maze. That never went anywhere either. We heard that their father became insane years ago and just started killing all the bears he could. It's a story we heard and nothing came of it. It ended up just with a bunch of violence at the end. I had a feeling that this was another movie that was edited to death and that it is just about 90 minutes. Yeah. And that so even more than prophecy, it seemed to me just incoherent and even more so very, very conventional. To me, this was Grizzly Rage with better actors. <laughs> better actors, better special effects, bigger budget, more cleanly executed. Better actors. Yeah. But, like, we're dealing with killer bear movies. I, like, I'm giving this a recommendation on that scale. It's sort of like when I said that 
Friday the 13th Part 6 is my favorite Friday the 13th movie. It's still a Friday the 13th movie, right? Uh, this is still a killer bear movie. And like I said, the, my problems are the conventions of the script. This guy returning home, he's got a checkered past. Everybody at that place is mad at him or, you know, that he has a, this, this bad passing. But I would disagree that not all of them don't pay out, play out. I knew right away what role Scott Glenn was going to be playing in the movie. Oh, but right. He's it, in it, too. It was handled well enough. He was, you know, the good wise and park ranger who knows all the shots, but he's also, you know, kind of responsible in some ways for the badness that has happened. It's a very underwritten part. Yeah. Um, but a good actor playing it, so we sell mm -hmm. it. Um, Billy Bob Thornton playing the Quint role of the mad great hunter who, uh, who you know, knows what he's doing, he's, can get around and, you know, how to be a hunter, but has a certain ruthlessness to him. The difference is, is why he doesn't work as a Quint character, is that he has never allowed that scene where we get access to him. He always remains the aloof asshole. We never get the scene where we find out he was on the Indianapolis, right? <laughs> well, it's so short. It's so short. The movie was made like four years before it was released. It just kept being held and renamed. Right. It was renamed and obviously recut. None of the characters are there at all. All we have is a story is that for a bunch of random reasons, the two brothers, the wife of one of the brothers is Hunter, they all just go into the woods at the same time there happens to be a killer bear. And that's the story. The plot, therefore, seems so unmotivated, mm -hmm. so gratuitous. The writers well, just tried to just say, okay, they're all in the woods and there's a bear, let's see what happens. Again, I guess I'd have to disagree. They're given reasons to be in the woods. When you say they happen to be in the woods, James Marsden's looking for his best friend who's lost in the woods. Uh, the Thomas Jane character, his wife is out in the woods. Yeah, she's she a just naturalist. To be out there. She tags bears for a living, so she doesn't <laughs> happen to be out there. She tags bears for a living. They're pulling the strings, Larry. The writers are giving them all of these different reasons. But the way you said it, it was just like they decided to walk into the woods and they encountered the teddy bear picnic. No, right? no, no, it's more it's... like one of those movies where you see people pulling the strings yeah. and contriving to make everything happen. This is where all the chess pieces have to move in order to get to right. where the bear is. Yeah, obviously, but like it. It'd be like if we got hung up in again on Friday the 13th of all the convoluted reasons that they came to the camp. Right? I would believe it all. In the end, it doesn't matter why they came to the camp. I would feel better if they all just went camping. Yeah. But I have another complaint about this movie. I have another complaint, and this is actually one place where I think that Grizzly Rage is superior to this one. Oh my goodness. In that the bear in Grizzly Rage actually felt mildly dangerous. The strangest thing about this bear, I mean, apart from a few expendable extras, is how few people he kills. Mm -hmm. Because the actors are all, you know, they're all relatively well-known people. Until the very end of the movie, the bear doesn't kill any of them. So you have endless scenes where the bear doesn't kill them. They get away again and again. Mm -hmm. But they're all armed. They're all armed to the teeth. Did we say this? They all shoot at the bear in every scene, and they never harm it. So, I don't know, I was thinking years back there was this one internet site that did this whole who would win in a battle right. between two different people like would Ted Kennedy outdrink Boris Yeltsin. I know that's a dated reference, but you get my <laughs> idea. And one of them was, they said, well, what would happen if you took the red away team suit guys from Star Trek? Right. The guys who always go down and with Kirk killed. and Spock and they always die. Like, they, they look at something wrong and it kills them. And what would happen if you pitted them against the Imperial Stormtroopers who can't kill anybody? And there were so many scenes in this movie where you'd have the bear attack the characters, all the characters would open fire with their various guns, right. and I felt like I was seeing that battle where an invulnerable force meets an incompetent object. Right. I mean, 
how dangerous is this bear if it's the fourth time it's tried to kill Piper Parabo and has it? And how dangerous is Thomas Jane if he has all these guns and he's shot at the bear so many times it's and the bear, bear is still there? It's a can't kill it. Well, I thought, like, it's a big bear. It's not untoward to me that say they probably did take a few rounds and just walk him off. But <laughs> So he's both indestructible and harmless, yeah. which is what we conclude from endless scenes where he gets shot but also doesn't kill anyone. But they, I think that they show it to be a pretty brutal thing. It charges into that uh, house with the hunters, that little cabin, and you see the whole cabin sort of shaking on its foundation. I thought that was kind of well done. The uh, uh, marshal or the... Uh, Sheriff, whoever she was, who found the car in the woods yeah, that was and gets brutal. charged from behind. It was unexpected and it gave the bear real power. Like, she gets crushed right into the side of that car and it looks pretty brutal. There's CGI to it. I'm not fooled by it, but I mean, they're trying to give the bear weight. I remember I watched this movie with my wife and uh, I remember saying, I kept on thinking they were going to use the fact that Piper Parabo's character was deaf. As, as some sort of thing where like she they would don't. be in danger and we would know it but she wouldn't and that scene never came and I thought that was strange and then my wife said well maybe that's good you know maybe it's nice that for once they had a character that was deaf and they never bothered to make that a major point he doesn't Thomas Jane when he tells his brother about his wife doesn't even mention she's deaf he finds out when he meets her well this is not so much about how we, we treat people who are deaf but in a movie when you establish a fact about a character it seems that it should be there for there's a reason. always a payoff you simply don't introduce important facts into the story I mean yes someone might just have a gun but you don't just say they had a gun and it stayed on their mantelpiece the whole time that's correct even though that's how life works and what could be better than a scene where she can't hear the bear she can see the bear she's looking around but she that was I was was going to mention that before another example of so many threads sort of like prophecy but honestly I feel worse yeah. things the writer set up that you can do something like their father we heard so much about the father relationship that both of the male leads had with their dad nothing and maybe the writer had something planned maybe that one on the cutting room floor along with the scene where we know the bear is stalking her and she doesn't well I was like it, it was almost inspiring what I was thinking about it. it was like that could be a really terrifying scene if before James Marston finds her we mm -hmm. cut to Parabo in the woods and uh, like we have a few establishing shots where we hear the woods it's alive birds bugs right. bears whatever noises that water and when we cut to her nothing yeah she's just walking in this huge lush environment yeah. and hearing nothing just that alone i think would have been a great opportunity for an effective scene but just not here in the think movie. of think of silence of the lambs any scene any horror movie where a character doesn't have all the information either yeah. visual or auditory that we do makes for exciting horror and yeah they missed that opportunity well, you make a good case that it, you know Lace Tracton doesn't never really reaches the potential that it that it sets, but uh, in a bare bones, grizzly bears killing people <laughs> movie, it it accomplishes that in a sort of C minus way. Right? I would have forgiven it if I'd felt once the bear. There are so many scenes where the bear attacked the characters, and this is a bit like Grizzly Raids. They have so many inconclusive engagements with right. the bear, and that's what broke it for me. That's where it crossed the line. I'm no longer scared if for the fifth time it's going to spring on them and then run away after they shoot at it. Yeah. I was more the other way for the exciting climax of the movie. Oh. When uh, it was when James Marsden got shoved under the shallows by the bear and the bear like put the full weight of his body on him. I was like, okay, no. 
James Marsden is dead. Yes. <laughs> One of those hits would have broken him in half. <laughs> like, he, he would be jello. And he just sort of dusts himself off and his, <laughs> his spine. Uh-huh. And yeah, the computer blood. There's a few times where they've clearly had the bear, you know, standing up and, and, and opening its mouth for a treat. <laughs> and they've gone in and they've digitally made blood dripping viscera from his jaws. And it just doesn't, it's not quite there, you know. It's good, but it's not good enough. And uh, yeah, you got to take a few hits. But I would watch Grizzly mm-hmm. Maze three times in a row on the same day before I watched Grizzly Rage once again. <laughs> Well, need I say it, I too would probably watch it before I watch Grizzly Rage, but somehow still it felt disappointing to me. Fair enough. Hello? Hey! You're ready to go. Your canoe will be right down there by the water. Need a map? No, no, I know this part well. Bear spray. You're not gonna need it. I would be lucky to see anything bigger than a chipmunk. Of course you're going that way. This is the way. We're just walking by, or she invited me up for a chat. I give backcountry ego tours. You sure you don't need a guide? I already have one. You're a lucky man, Alex. <laughs> Why don't you fight him in the house next time? I said I'm sorry. Look good? Yeah. Alex? I don't understand. This can't be it, right? Can you look at me, please? Just let me think. Just let me think. Let me think. We don't have a map. We don't have a cell phone. We are in the middle of nowhere. What is that? Uh, I don't want to say, from the trees on a den. A backcountry for me, if we echo back to our uh, Bigfoot episode, to me, it's kind of the Willow Creek of this selection, in that um, there's a lot of stuff in it that is very familiar, but I think that the execution of it is so strong that it really deserves to be watched. There's a lot of stuff here that you've seen before, but I think that uh, the filmmakers elevate the story. The other thing, and this is true of uh, the Willow Creek movie, is that it, for me, anchors upon the major one big camp sequence that starts in a tent. There's a long, in this case, it's like an eight minute prolonged sequence. And in Willow Creek, it's like 15 minutes. But both of those tap into that primal terror of being in the woods and having nothing but this tiny thin fabric between you and whatever the fuck is out there. (laughs) And uh, in those moments, this movie is very, very successful. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I think that it it may have a little bit of pacing problems here in the first act somewhat, but I like the characters, particularly the two people in this couple. I love, there's a real efficiency in its handle. It's one of the first moments of the film. The two of them are driving in the car and the boy, the guy, puts in this old-timey, lyrically dense, amusing sort of uh, musical track that he's obviously very fond of. And he loves it, and she doesn't love it, but she kind of loves that he loves it. Mm -hmm. And in that few seconds, without having any conversations, I kind of feel like I know the dynamic of the relationship, and I like both of them. And neither of them has really said anything. The kind of efficiency and the trust and like the, the really concise writing and filmmaking right there sort of told me, okay, I'm in the hands of somebody who knows what they're mm-hmm. doing. And I got comfortable right away. Now, it maybe takes a little longer for the movie to start to cook than I would like to do. But once the movie starts to cook, 
I think backcountry is quite frightening, and I would encourage people who like bear movies to seek it out. But once again, Brandon, I brought you here to get your opinion. What did you think of Backcountry? Oh, I liked it too. I thought it was very good. I was not at all disappointed. Although, I would, just to disagree for the sake of disagreement, Larry, <laughs> I'd say I loved the pacing at the beginning. I thought the pacing was a little slow in the last part. The last 20 minutes, not much happened to me. All right. After the climactic bear attack, which is really the peak, it was just the, the woman who survives running and running and running and being in horrible pain yeah. and running... Whereas the build, to me, none of it was slow. None of it was boring. You were just Seeing scared. this guy lead her along. Lead her along. Because at first I thought, oh, the bear attack doesn't come in until deep in the movie. Is this really a bear movie at all? I mean, you have what seems like a long red herring where this Irish guy comes in. Eric Balfour. I do want to talk about him, yes. Right, well, pretending to be an Irish guy. A yeah. horrible fake Irish accent. And so I'm like, what is this? Because for a while, the movie's trying to tease you with the idea that he might be a bad guy. He might be the danger. Or a hero figure or something. He's like in a wild card in the group, right? But it was interesting. It was interesting and entertaining. And by the time we got closer to the bear story, I began to believe that I knew what the story was really about. A through line. Right. So it's not about the bear if the bear comes in 50 minutes into the movie. It isn't there in the last part either. Right. It's a movie about what an idiot this woman's boyfriend was. Yeah. That's the through line the whole way through. This doofus who, he, he doesn't want to take a map because he's too cool. He knows it all. Been here, done that. Yeah. Even though later he admits he hasn't hiked in this one area since high school. He gets lost right away. He leaves her cell phone in the car so she can't get help that way. He does everything wrong. He's trying to lead her up to a lake. They get lost and... My daughter's five and a half. Yeah. It's the first time this thought, kind of thought ever crossed my mind, like, oh boy, I hope she never ends up with a loser like that. <laughs> and but, to me, that was the heart of the movie. Is he, It's really ultimately a movie about a woman who's with a loser who gets her <laughs> into a lot of trouble. You're yes. saying? But I, it's, uh, you're right. It's 100% his fault. He's the, he's the Cooper in a lot of ways of this movie. But I don't hate him. In a lot of other movies with this character, I would just, like, despise him. It is his fault. But he knows it's his fault, and he fucking owns it, right? <laughs> um, and he didn't want this to happen, you know? In a way, I think he was trying to be all alpha male and impress her with his, you know? And he, he failed, <laughs> utterly. She definitely proves to be more of the survivor. But as much as he does, I, I agree, is responsible for putting them in this her terrible situation... I don't hate his guts the way I do in a lot of other movies about this character. Well, I feel bad for what happens to him. Well, right. This is just the perspective. We're all at different points in our life. And it was just the notion of somebody like this dating my daughter <laughs> that made my, my sympathy by less. I started to imagine scenarios in which it's not a black bear who attacks them, but her dad disguised as a bear. <laughs> yeah. You know, something along those lines. I mean, that guy, for God's sake, he wanted to propose to her. Mm -hmm. So the most romantic thing he could think of doing was taking her out into the country, which she hated. Yeah. Let's do something I like to do, and then you'll like it so much you'll want to marry me. Which is another reason it made me think of Willow Creek, because that dynamic yeah, is, precisely is the exactly same. the same. Although in Willow Creek, I don't think he's doing that. He knows where they are. He just doesn't know how dangerous the place is. Yeah, he's not saying. nearly as much of an idiot as yeah. her. <laughs> because we can understand that perhaps, you know, when one isn't aware of the danger that Bigfoot's pose. He didn't really think they were going to be attacked by a Bigfoot, right? Like, that wasn't reasonably something he could expect. It was not unreasonable to think they could get lost in this park, and it was not unreasonable to think they would encounter wildlife, and he did not prepare for either eventuality. Oh yeah, he, he gives her crap for bringing bear repellent, yeah. 
for bringing a flare, everything. He's useless from beginning to end. But it was satisfying for me because then I know what the movie's about. It's not really... There's a bear in it. The bear is great. But that's not what it's about. Yeah. Well, and that's a, they make you wait for the bear. But they mm-hmm. definitely deliver the bear oh, when yeah. it comes. Uh, the Eric Balfour character you were talking about, the fisherman with the very thick, strange eye. <laughs> uh, it's weird because there is something really artificial about that uh, accent. Uh, and in a way, in another movie where it would have taken me out of it, it's like, Balfour, I don't know if that's working for you 100% there, buddy. I think it added to this weird, you don't know about this guy. Is that a legit accent? Is anything oh, he's saying to her true? Good is point. He, is he just some criminal hiding in the woods? Like, <laughs> but who is this the guy? Irish? Yeah, why, the, why that choice? But it was one of the things that sort of made you feel, uh, other than the fact that he was talking, you know, he's a close talker and just seemed strangely somehow aggressive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was interesting. It was much like we talked about empty threads leading in, in Grizzly Rage. I kept on waiting for the shoe to drop with Belfort, for him to either establish himself as a super bad guy or to show up at the right time to help save the day. And interestingly, neither of those things happened, mm-hmm. and I wasn't bothered by it. Well, that's because they still tied it up. You saw him at the end. He was organizing a search party. Mm-hmm to go find them as she came back. So we still, it was tied up and there was the suspense. So the movie won me over as it went on and on and all the pieces came together. Yeah. But yeah, that bear attack. The bear we've attack. We've got to say. Wow. Terrifying. Wow. On so many levels. Yeah. the Just the nose, the snout of the bear pushing yes. into the side of the tent. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> and often that suspense, that expectation would be the climax, but it isn't here. Nope. The actual attack when it tears into the tent builds that sense of fear. And then there's a moment when they think it's over and because it's <laughs> she sprays him with the, with, the, with the pepper spray. The bear's gone for a minute. And then the bear comes back again, drags the boyfriend out of the tent, and eats him, right? Yeah. We see it. Yeah. Crouching low. They did wonderful things with that bear. The bear is crouching lower the body, just like you'll see a dog with their food. Yeah. And again, the, the victim, he having the presence of mind to tell her to get the hell out of there, you know, and her being unwilling to do it. The guy's being mauled horribly, and he knows that he's mortally wounded, and he still somehow has the presence of mind to tell her to go. And she still tries to fight a little bit. I would like you'd think that you'd, your instinct would just be to run, and then as you're running, you'd suddenly have that thing of, "Oh my God, I left them." But it's interesting that her instinct is not to run. I thought that was really strong. Certainly, she never came to my conclusion that he's a hopeless loser and she's better off without him. Yes, yeah. she, 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 sure, she's already really once she gets over how he got them lost, she's touched when he proposes marriage. And she goes back to get the engagement ring. Yeah. She runs out of the woods with the engagement ring because that's important to her. Yeah. She still cares about this guy. Even after him, the effects are so good. He's become the bear's lunch Ugh. at that point. Ugh. He's gone from a person to a thing. She still wants to get the ring. Yeah. She still wants to have the engagement ring. Spoilers, like that is the death of the movie. There's one death in this movie, but it earns a horror movie reputation for it. I found that tent scene absolutely terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And I see a lot of horror movies. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of bear attack movies, a lot of Bigfoot movies. I've seen a lot of people attacked in tents. I don't think I can think of a better example of a bear attack depicted on screen. Yeah, it had everything. It had suspense, and it had blood, and it just 
the seamless integration of the human actors and the bear, all through editing, of course, yeah. because they're never actually there together. But well done. But the magic of editing, we think of the shower scene in Psycho. Yeah. The, the power of editing, the most quintessentially filmic of all arts, mm -hmm. to make it really seem real. Yeah. And uh, see, I guess we had a different, different reaction. We both really liked the movie, but for different reasons. During the first part of the movie, yeah, I was like, I know they're getting lost in the woods and they're going to encounter the bear. We know this is going to happen. So mm -hmm. I'm starting to get impatient waiting for that to happen. That's right. That's then, a Willow Creek problem. That's right. And then Eric Balfour shows up and he's this big red herring. But I understand him as a role as a red herring. And that's just a, me being guilty of watching too many movies. That's more <laughs> me than the movie itself. So once the bear attack happens and she's running from the bear and she's got this terrible leg injury that's hobbling her, uh, I was really into the movie like I was into the movie and liking it but from the attack to the movie to the end of the movie it was a ride for me I was I, I did not get tedious I was like because uh, I didn't know how it was going to end it, like it, it wasn't like she was being played by Julia Roberts or somebody like this right it wasn't a big star it wasn't a guaranteed thing that she was going to get out of this and that attack in the tent was so real and so visceral and so violent I was like it really could go either way for me and I'm right there with you what would I do are you doing anything stupid? Yes. No. I'm with you. Like I'm in psychologically, I was with her, and uh, that carried me through the rest of the movie. Uh, I expected to like this movie; it had a good reputation, but I liked it a lot. <laughs> yeah, it exceeded my expectation. I would agree. If I saw it again, I might be more won over by that last part. Instead of feeling like the movie's spinning its wheels, all I saw in the ending was she's running, she's running, she's running. She got out. Yeah. But maybe it seems like a movie. It's good enough. To imagine that if you saw it again, you'd see more complexity to the story. Yeah. And so just as I saw the first part of the movie is not just, oh, we're killing time till the bear attacks them. Yeah. I saw things going on. Maybe the ending, too. It's well-crafted, and I'd give them credit for that. Yeah. And this time you've, re you've done it, eh? Well, it's, it's taken a while, but like I say, yeah, finally we got there. <laughs> it's about time. Yeah, because you and I have talked a couple of other times. Yes, we have, a couple of other times over the years. But this is the suit. Yeah, yeah, this is the suit. $100,000 later, and seven years of research, we, we finally got to... Uh, a suit capable of uh, doing what we want with regards to uh, grizzly research. Now, now describe it for me, Troy. How big is it? Oh, well, I'm five foot eight, and when I uh, close myself inside the suit, uh, uh, I'm looking at about uh, seven, seven foot two. Um, that's the height of it. Uh, the weight, 147 pounds, which is relatively light for its uh, protection uh, capabilities, and uh, it's uh, extremely large. Um, I mean, the head itself, the outer head, there's, there's like two, uh, two chambers to it. The outer head is, uh, you're probably looking at, uh, you know, two feet by two feet by two feet. Project Grizzly is actually quite famous, and there's not too many famous Canadian films. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting, five out of the six movies that we've talked about today have been made in Canada, uh, and this one is probably the most quintessentially Canadian to me. Um, the subject of the documentary, what's his name again? James... No, it's Troy. Troy James Hurtubis. Hurt I can't even read it here. Depends whether you pronounce it in yeah. a French way or yeah. it's anglicized. Let's call him Troy. Yeah. <laughs> this this We don't very, hear it in the movie. This very Canadian uh, sort of living in the woods uh, kind of dude had an encounter, a very terrifying encounter with a grizzly bear at a young age. And it obviously triggered something deep in him because he has dedicated his life to the construction of a suit that he can wear that he will be able to fight 
Grizzly Bears. Now, this movie was made in 96, or came out in 96. It was made before that, but uh, there's been so many iterations of the suits. There's been follow-up documentaries on it, and he's actually made it a sort of bit a career out of sort of developing these weird military-grade protective suits. Not for use for fighting bears, for other uses or whatever, mm. but he has actually been able to make a life out of this quest to personally fight a grizzly bear. Mono, hey, mono. He's a very eccentric character, and so Canadian, it just kills. The the vague French accent and all the A's and the Yas at the end of all of his sentences, sort of almost... It's like this movie is what's responsible for what the rest of the world thinks Canadians sound like. But it is undeniably charming. I think the question that I would pose to you to the starting about reviewing this is that are we laughing with Troy or are we laughing at Troy? And is it okay to laugh with him or at him? It's a funny question to ask. To me, I I didn't... Either I was very disappointed by this movie because, again, we, we go back with Grizzly Man. I said I just liked Timothy Treadwell. Yeah. I liked the guy. I enjoyed spending time with his character. I found Troy boring. Really? I found Troy boring. He was kind of, um, kind of braggadocious, but not in a very interesting way. And above all, his suit sucked. Um, <laughs> I respected Timothy Treadwell because he lived a long time with Grizzly without them attacking him. There's a man with talent. Right. Troy's suit, the more modern one we see, is so cumbersome. It takes several people to help him get inside. Yep. He can barely take Walk. a few steps in it later. Spoilers, you know, he doesn't fight a grizzly, and you know why? Because on uneven ground, when he goes out to Alberta, he can't even walk one step. He'll just fall over yep. and be helpless. So... If this qualifies as like a grizzly proof suit, I could make one. It's called a safe. Yeah. A grizzly comes in, come around, I get inside the safe, lock it, and I, I mean, so if he'd at least been like, oh, but he made a cool suit, I could maybe get behind him since I already found him boring. But the fact that I thought his suit sucked and really didn't perform as advertised <laughs> made me less willing maybe to cut his eccentricity some slack. Right. Well, see, for me, it wasn't about the success or failure of the suit, uh, because the suit is hilariously ineffective. Like, I, I just think, like, the tests were hilarious, where he'd get himself in the suit and get a bunch of his, like, redneck buggies, buddies to beat the shit out of him with baseball bats, and then they'd take the helmet off and he'd be standing there sweating, like, didn't feel a thing, like I accomplished something there, right? It's so strange. We were talking about uh, documentaries before we started recording and uh, how uh, there's a very famous documentary on Robert Crumb where I said mm-hmm. the thing for me is not about that movie, not that I like Crumb or that I even am that into his work or that I think that he's an amazing person. The thing about that documentary is that it basically is how it tells us that if Crumb didn't draw those goofy pictures and express himself in that way, he'd probably either be homeless or institutionalized. He was able to make his career out of this one bizarre, very specific passion. And in a way, our friend Troy is sort of another end of that. Maybe he doesn't deserve to be famous and successful because of this bizarre grizzly suit, and maybe he is, you know, more crazy than smart. But that's where I could become, that's where it gets uncomfortable to me, is like, I do find it kind of amusing watching him do all these tests on this obviously (coughs) useless suit. And he's super excited about it. He's so into it. And to me, this is a kid playing with his Hot Wheel toys, you know? It's just like... 
But he's in his 40s. <laughs> well, partly this is about the attitude that you bring to it. I get it, Larry. I wanted the suit to be awesome. Maybe I was more <laughs> I was more from Troy's point of view. I wanted to see that he'd made the coolest and most effective bear-proof suit. And right, you go into seeing the humor of the fact that the suit is terrible and useless. Yeah. You might, but but you talk about Crumb. Crumb was, as I'm not really a fan of his art either, still more interesting, still more charismatic as a subject. And far more troubled. Troy didn't come off as troubled. Really? Troy just seemed like an asshole. I, was, I think I, I, I would disagree. I with could that. be wrong. I'm yeah. just saying that you know we have these different responses to people, and whatever it was, Troy and I just didn't get along. But not only did I not get along, he didn't seem interesting to me. Mm. At worse than disliking him, I was bored by him. Well, I, I think that like he's definitely a unique individual to me. How often in the movie do you hear him referencing his dad? It's like, to me, all of this is him trying to prove something to his father who's long in the grave. You know? Yes. It, this is all about him, you know, trying to be as badass a rugged outdoors yes. as his father was. And even if he was able to make a suit that could fight a bear, I don't think he's ever <laughs> going to live up to this image that he has in his head of his father. There's mm-hmm. something out of scope about, about where that plays into his life. And also just the conceit. Yeah, he was swatted and thrown several feet by a bear when he was a kid, and he was lucky to have survived this. It was, you know, bad news, and I'm sure that was terrifying. But still, as an approach, this is not something that you should really be supporting anyone else behind it. Like, I hope the government of Canada wasn't helping him with the suit too deeply, because what he wanted to do was get in a suit, go out, find a bear, and beat it to death as revenge. (laughs) <laughs> like, he wanted to not be threatened by bears. He wanted to prove that he was man enough to, to physically conquer a grizzly. I never got the impression he wanted to kill a grizzly, just that he wanted to be in a suit where a grizzly couldn't hurt him. Right. That always the idea of how it would play in his mind is the grizzly would swat him around and it would fail to harm him. Maybe I'm putting that on I him. mean, there were no weapons in the suit that I remember. It was all armor. There no. wasn't. We never saw the knives that would come out or the little, you know, explosives or something. But the idea that it's like a hunter would wear that suit while he's out in the woods to protect himself is absurd. No. This is a suit for Troy. Yes. And that millions of dollars got sunk into and so many different permutations of it is. It is absurd. And again, that like, I laugh while I'm watching it, but I don't feel comfortable with the laugh because I'm not mm-hmm. sure that I should be just laughing at this it. poor guy. Maybe this is just a mentally ill guy who's using all of his resources to do something pointless, and that's not something to laugh at. Or, or maybe it's not either way, but maybe it's just unworthy of a subject for a film. But I've never really seen a documentary like this, and uh, I... I, I think it's to the film's credit that it doesn't really take a, a side on Troy. It just sort of shows him to us. Well, but I think you would agree. You would agree that this movie is fairly uneventful. Not a lot happens in it. That, therefore, its appeal depends on... A lot of it is just long shots of Troy talking, mostly about his dad and how awesome his dad was. <laughs> and so the movie stands or falls on whether you're entertained by hearing Troy sitting around being Troy in a coffee shop or alone or out in the woods. (laughs) And if you like Troy, you'll like the movie. But even more so, Grizzly Man does not even depend as much on liking Timothy Treadwell because there's more to the movie, more that goes on, different events that happen. This is a very short movie. It's like a 70-minute movie. And even then, it felt long because we learn that he's building the suit. We wait, we wait, we wait. He goes out finds that he's actually unable to use the suit in the field, which we could have seen coming, and the movie ends. Yeah. 
So it's the least eventful 70-minute movie. I mean, I rarely see such a 70-minute movie that felt so stretched. We talked about these other movies that felt like they'd been cut to death. Yeah. This could have been a short. This yeah. could have been a short about it. Well, it, and it almost is. 35-minute short. I think that uh, I get less hung up on structure and story in a documentary format than I do in a fictional format. I'm, mm-hmm. that, that's where the story guy, as I've called myself guilty of in the past, uh, sort of shuts up and says, okay, you're presenting me this person. Mm-hmm. And you're choosing these conversations and these shots to tell, give me an, a taste of what this person is. I'm much more accepting of that in a documentary than I am in a, in a feature film that's in the business of telling a story. Because you're right, the story here is Timothy got hit by a bear when he was a boy and has spent his life trying Troy. to. Troy. Tr- sorry. Uh, sorry. Troy was hit by a bear when he was a boy and he grew up to try and build a suit so that the next time he encountered a bear, it wasn't going to play out that way. Uh, why he chose to define his life in that way, why the, the bear suit means so much to him, and how the fact that it was ineffective did not in any way deter him for continuing to explore this for decades on. Uh, he's a weird guy, and maybe a crazy guy, and, and, and maybe, maybe mm. this is exploitive, maybe. But I found it for the 72 minutes or whatever of the running time. It held my attention, and it is a very uniquely Canadian thing. It was quite popular. It was a very well-received mm-hmm. uh, documentary at the time. Quentin Tarantino, who was hot off of Pulp Fiction at the time, was uh, giving it a lot of free press because he was a big fan of it. It was it was a Canadian movie of note. And for that reason alone, I think that <laughs> I'm glad it's out there. Well, let's uh, contrast it, though, to Grizzly Man does have a story. I mean, yeah. some documentaries are carefully plotted. You know, that, that different things are revealed at different times, things build, the control of the information, even the, the ending is so carefully thought out when they sprinkle his ashes, and yet here, it is, it, 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 it's shapeless. It's a slice of life. It's, yeah, exactly. Here's a guy, and there's almost this attempt that we're not going to make a story out of it, because life isn't like that. Um, you know, that, that we're just going to give you things as they unfold in their sort of shapeless, undirected way. There's just something about Troy and his weird yeah. mullet and the weird way he talks and just the individual, like, that is a very unique mm-hmm. person. And maybe yeah. just because he's so unique, he does deserve this movie around him. Whether or not the story really is a story or just a series of events, I don't know. But I do not regret my time spent with Troy. Every, every moment I was like, when is this going to be over? A 70-minute movie never felt so long. But I will say, we can agree this, that, yeah, if you like him, you'd like the movie because it runs off him. I don't even know if I like him. He's just so odd. Once again, for coming all this grand distance to uh, rank some grizzly, well, mostly grizzly bear movies with me, uh, I had a blast with it. And uh, like, let's let's put a shout out to some Canadian productions here. For sure. <laughs> so uh, Canadian bears. Canadian bears. Good day, eh? But like, totally, eh? What would you rank these six grizzly bear movies, right? All right. Well, let's start where we ought to at the very bottom mm-hmm. with Project Grizzly. 
Wow. I'm sorry. I just could. I wanted it to be over. I wanted it to be over. The, the movie I'm going to mention next was very bad too. In fact, we're just judging by badness. I might not rank it this way, but I've rarely just been just not even sorry I watched it, but wanting to stop and having a sense of duty to sit through it. It just did not work for me. You either care about this guy in his stupid suit or you don't. So. Six. I'm Six shocked. Is okay. Six it is. Project Grizzly. Fifth is obviously Grizzly Rage, because it's <laughs> never going to come up very high on anyone's list. It was pretty terrible, but I enjoyed watching how terrible it was. There was a lot of, you know, chasing and running and screaming. I have a soft spot for it, and you'd have to to even rank it fifth. You really would. This You're, you're cutting this movie a lot of slack to rank it fifth on any list. Wow. Yeah. Just above that, just above that, I would say Into the Grizzly Maze. Into the Grizzly Maze, because it was a pretty terrible movie too. Pretty soulless, but okay, it did have some good acting. So, in the name of all the actors in this confused mess, I would give it that. Then I would say Prophecy next, at number three. It's still not a very good movie, but it was less frustrating to me than Into the Grizzly Rage and I liked a bit of that crazy B-movie spirit that was there. We've both done this now. We've both said Into the Grizzly Rage. Oh, now I've done it as well. (laughs) All right. Well, this is going to be that kind of podcast and second, obviously, obviously, second and first ought to be obvious, second is Backcountry. It's a solid, well-made movie. Really enjoyed it more than I thought I would have sort of movie I would enjoy to watch again. So finally in first place has to be Grizzly Man has to be one of the best movies I've ever seen several times over since even if it had just been the footage of Timothy Treadwell with the Grizzly Bears in Alaska would have been a beautiful nature film even if it had just been Werner Herzog and his own meditations on nature and humanity but when you put it all together in the way you do something really magical comes out of it and I couldn't couldn't my see myself not putting it at first in almost any list of movies let alone these ones yeah it's very very strong well I gotta say I came into this thinking we're probably not gonna we're not gonna match and we're not going to like go zero for six but I thought we would absolutely agree on the bottom and the top. And uh, we, we only oh. agree on the top, not the bottom. Uh, for me, comfortably, <laughs> comfortably at number six is Grizzly Rage. Like, it's so bad that I feel almost bad including it on the list. I have to believe that there are many, many, many other better bear movies to watch than this one. Uh, and it's, like, I would disagree that it even had a so bad it's good level to charm. Like, it was sort of pissing me off. It was sort of pissing me off. Uh, in fifth position, I put The Prophecy. There's a weird, absurd quality to this movie. Like, it is so strange that it's almost hypnotically watchable for how strange it is. But it is not good. <laughs> it is not good. So that'll bring us to the fourth position for Into the Grizzly Maze, which, as I said mainly in the review, is like a C-minus script elevated by a strong cast. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is like 
a fairly bare bones. <laughs> See what I did there? Yes. Fairly bare bones killer bear movie, and it does the job in a fairly unmemorable way, but in offensive way, in my opinion. In third place, all the way in third place, is where I put Project Grizzly. Um, yeah, I, I just think he's a strange character. I. You may even be right that the the documentary trait really fails to tell a story, or if it is telling a story, it's a story of failure. But there's something interesting about that dude <laughs> that uh, I'm I'm kind of glad he was a subject of <laughs> of, uh, of a documentary, and it's an interesting footnote in Canadian film history. So there's a little shout out for Project Grizzly in second place, and in another list it could easily probably be in first, but Backcountry mm -hmm. is a very strong and easily the most frightening of all of the movies that we reviewed. Like, of all of the movies, this is the one where I was the most emotionally involved, where I was feeling like, get out of it, get out of it, like I was reacting to it, as opposed to passively watching it, and, and I was able to let go of my analytical reviewing the movie mind and take the ride with Backcountry. And I don't think there's a better compliment I could pay it because I, I, I live in my head too much sometimes. <laughs> and yes, Brendan, of course, Grizzly Man is the best of these movies. It's, it's just a fantastic, meditative, sort of deep movie in a way that, you know, only truly great documentaries can be. I was moved by it and I get a lot out of it. There's, uh, you know, I feel for Timothy Treadwell and yet I don't like, like I say, fall short of heroic. Which is fascinating, deep, and profound. What else? And we need more movies like it. <laughs> I'd also ask you why you would say Backcountry was the scariest. Yeah. Since in terms of being terrifying, there's the one scene in Grizzly Man where, <laughs> after we've heard about how he died, we see the shot of the two bears, the two big male bears fighting on the beach to a soundtrack of bear growling, gradually getting louder. Yeah. Uh, well, I guess that's terrifying. terrifying. It's terrifying in context, and it's terrifying because two people genuinely died horrible deaths. That's something that I don't think ever really comes across in anything. Part of the reason my backcountry was so strong for me, even though this was a black bear, which is usually you know not the, considered the big bad. Even like real world, they say you you don't mm -hmm. want to encounter a grizzly or a Kodiak, as some of them call them. Typically, you don't want to bump into them. And polar bears, if they decide that you're going to be lunch, you have a mm -hmm. real fucking problem. But typically, black bears are black bears. Pardon me, are, are timid creatures. But they're also creatures that are capable of tearing us apart. And the business of being killed by a bear is not like Jason macheting you across the face or you getting shot and falling over. It is a terrifying, drawn-out, violent, brutal business. And uh, it is a subject worthy of horror movies. And, uh, yeah, Backcountry was the scariest movie that we mm -hmm. watched. Uh, I don't know, I almost feel like documentaries go on another level. Like I say, whenever I throw a documentary randomly into the list, it almost defaults to the top because it has the strength of truth. Well, know? how many people make a quickie documentary for money? Yeah, that's true. That's where the big bucks are, right? <laughs> that's right, that's right. No, it'll be a horror or a porno, at least traditionally. I'm sorry there are no prizes to give out this time, but I do appreciate you making time in your vacation to once again come back to Rank and Review, and uh, please spread the word on the podcast to the good people in Florida.
So, uh, we can give out a couple of uh, honorary Jerry Awards in this special edition of Rank and Review. Um, you have a special award you want to give out. Let's get that out of the way first. Well, yeah, I want to give an award to the best Grizzly movie we did not see here. I would just quickly recommend to all genre fans the truly bizarre film Grizzly Park, which involves a group of delinquent young people, all of whom have committed horrible crimes, being killed one by one by a bear who is some sort of agent of divine vengeance, working along with the park ranger who deliberately exists to punish the guilty. It's pretty weird and hard to find on DVD, so we couldn't feature it, but I recommend it if you get a chance to watch it. Well, I will also use a shout out here then for uh, a late 70s sort of uh, forest response to Jaws. Grizzly. Mm -hmm. It's a big PG production mounted, I think, just two years after Jaws came out in the theaters. And it wants to be Jaws so much. And it's not. But it is amusing. It is a really entertaining, sort of fun uh, Bear in the Woods movie. And uh, it's, uh, again, much like we were talking about prophecy of that age of 70s movies where they put a lot of grandeur into their horror movies. It's not great, but it's it's like the better version of Prophecy. So, Grizzly is my shout-out. Well, right. There are just a lot of great bear movies. <laughs> uh, do you want to give an award for Best Bear? <laughs> oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The the I mean, again, it seems unfair, because on the one hand, the bears and Grizzly Man were just being they themselves. They were real bears. They yeah. did a spectacular job. They were but really it, good at being bears, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, but... It was easy for them. They just didn't have to do anything. Timothy Treadwell did all the work. Yeah. So I think, therefore, we, we have to go to the Baron Backcountry, yeah. who had to work with actors on a movie and them getting shots of it in that way. That in terms of the Bears' contribution to the film, yeah. I would say that Backcountry would... Yeah, Backcountry wins, which surprises me, because, like I said, it's the black bear. It's not a big monster bear. It's not a big grizzly. It's a black bear. Oh, he's terrifying. He is very scary. <laughs> yes. Some of those other grizzlies, particularly Bart 2 and Into the Grizzly Maze, look kind of moth-eaten. Yeah. Kind of past their prime. They don't look that scary. That is second-generation Bart the Bear. Yeah, Bart 2. Yeah, okay, good. Because I remember, like, they credited him, Bart, and I was like, that's not Bart. Where's the big pouty lips? I know Bart the Bear. <laughs> that's right. But this this black bear, he had some, some real acting talent. Okay. Perhaps we'll see him again. Uh, do you want to hand out a What the Fuck Award? I know what I would give it to, but I'm happy to hear your thoughts. Yeah, my thought for the What the Fuck Award, and I'm glad we had a chance to bring this up, is the raccoon scene from Prophecy. Oh, good Poe. I mean, really, a, a lot of love went into choreographing a scene where a deranged raccoon attacks Talia Shire and their boyfriend <laughs> in the cabin. And it goes on and on and on. Like, this has been choreographed with love. And they can't seem to kill it until they throw it in the fire, and then it's just dead. When really the only way to have done even better that would have put prophecy to the top of my list <laughs> had it leapt from the fire a flame to One attack, more attack. <laughs> but it was it was still pretty damn good so i would say yeah the raccoon battle yeah well uh honorary mention which is also from prophecy is her talia shire getting mauled in the neck by that little oh yeah the baby black bear repeatedly like, and she doesn't put it down she, she keeps letting it bite her just eating her throat like I haven't kept on waiting for her to flop over dead okay okay now that we're talking about WTF there's also the scene in Prophecy where the giant bear is chasing them they've crossed the lake and the bear goes into the water and they'll just sit there they all just sit there watch it walk into the water they don't get weapons ready nope, they, they don't run wait. they just sit 
and wait and wait and then for a long time nothing and then it jumps up out of the water and then they all go back to doing whatever so that was pretty WTF too but for me if I'm handing out a WTF award again prophecy winning across the way it's the sleeping bag death that was the most absurd thing I've ever seen in a movie that's trying to take it yes, seriously he's bouncing along like someone playing a banana or a condom and then bam just the most absurd, Feathers uh, unconvincing, everywhere. and unintentionally comical death that I think I've encountered. Like, this might trump Sam Jackson in Deep Sea. Like, wow. Yep. So if I'm giving a, a what the fuck award, that's where I'd go. Making me reevaluate prophecy. <laughs> uh, any other awards you want to give out, or should I let you back to your fam? <laughs> I think we'll leave it there, Larry. Thank you so much. This is an incredible show, and it's an honor to be part of it. It's been a pleasure, and it'll be out there very soon. All right. And so ended the lesson on bears. I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. And I'd like to once again give special thank you to Brendan for making special time for me during his very crowded vacation schedule to record another podcast with me. Uh, it's great to hear from you, Brendan. And uh, thank you for being there. I hope you enjoyed that. And I hope you will join me for the 75th episode of Rank and Review. In the in-between, please tell your other movie fan friends about the podcast and send me feedback at rankandreview at gmail.com. That's R-A-N-K-N-R-E-V-I-E-W at gmail.com. You can find the show on Facebook. You can find it on iTunes. I've been listed on Podcastopedia and in Player FM. And if you have a podcast service that you like and enjoy and Rank and Review is not in it, let me know and I'll do what I can. Thank you for listening to my show, and we'll talk to you again real soon.